Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Ginny. And we are the Art History Babes. And we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're, back. we're drinking mimosas. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a mimosa y day. You know, it is. <sighs> spring has sprung. It's here. It's, it's a Sunday spring. Spring Sunday. <gasps> yeah, yeah. It's Sunday. Yes. Sprung forward. Um, yes. The hour has sprung forward. <laughs> yeah. And it is blissful outside. It truly is. The sun is out. Birds are singing. Yeah. The leaves are blooming. Yeah. Yes. I have uh, my hula hoops in my car. I think I might head over to the park after we're done and just like... Go hoop it up. Bliss it out. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm definitely probably going to take a walk to the co-op or something later and just... To the co-op. I don't know. Just, you know, <laughs> it's nice and there's a co-op in town. Isn't that what you do? That's what you do in spring. <laughs> That's what you do on a Sunday in spring. <laughs> oh, how perfect. Uh, how's yeah. everyone doing? Pretty well. Mm. Pretty swell. Soaking in, just soaking in the good energy. Yeah. I feel like annoyingly positive. Wow. You know, <laughs> like I just, I know it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot for me because uh, this was the winter of my discontent. <laughs> and now my discontent. <laughs> now it is March. That and is it's a great beautiful. title for like a book. It not it a title? I think book? it has to be because there's no way oh. I made that up. I think it is. <laughs> I just believe not. that hook, line, and singer. is like, Jen, <laughs> you should really do something with that. <laughs> winter of our discontent is, oh. yeah, a style. Steinbeck. Oh, okay. Novel. Okay. I was like, you okay. know, it sounds very moody. Did you know Steinbeck was from um, Monterey? Yeah, Monterey dude. Day? Yes. Yes. Oh. Um, There's all kinds of Steinbeck stuff hanging around. Yeah. Yeah. When you go there to Monterey, everything is Steinbeck yeah. related. Um, Cannery Row. Isn't that one of his books? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a Cannery Row in Monterey Bay, California. Cool. The last time I was there, like the hotel we stayed at, we were like walking up the stairs and there was just a portrait of him. And I was oh, like, yeah. Oh. Steinbeck, what's oh, up? Yeah. <laughs> I just just want to pictures do of Steinbeck everywhere. Monterey's yeah. dope. God, it's, it's really lovely. I love it. I haven't there. been in a few years. I should go down. That's there. a yeah. that's a good little little cute cutesy. It's little super cute. Datey weekend idea. Oh yeah, Monterey Perfect. Bay. <laughs> Check out the dunes and the aquarium. Mm, the aquarium is, is smell that delightful. low tide <laughs> underneath the blue moon. I actually think I saw my first <laughs> like whale geyser. Oh, really? Situation in uh, oh cool Monterey Bay. Yeah, we're just like super Dope. early in the morning, just watching all the animals, all the sea lions and the little otters. There were whales, and they were really quite close to the shore. Yeah, oh, like that's amazing. Shooting up is beautiful. Whales are so majestic. Oh, I love They're them. just magical creatures. I I really I want, just want to them be... all to live long, happy lives. Me too. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. want to be reincarnated as a whale. Whoa! I, I want to be a cool. humpback whale. Yeah, they dance in the ocean and they <laughs> sing beautiful songs. <laughs> <laughs> Did I ever tell you guys about the time that I I read this whole thing about how like the way you wake up really affects your mood and how you should try to wake up in like a gentle manner? And I was like, like a humpback in, whale. I was. <laughs> I was in the middle of thesis writing and I set my alarm to humpback whale sounds and I just didn't wake up (laughs) and I just had dreams about whales and like, but 
every time I woke up, I was like, oh my God, I have five minutes to get to my discussion <laughs> sections. <laughs> oh, man. But I bet those were some pleasant dreams. Yeah, they were. But, you know, um, just. Uh, That's yeah. not a sound that like alerts you to waking no. up. No. Really. It was like, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. I've actually been thinking about alarm clocks lately and how unnatural <laughs> yeah. it is that we use the, like that we use alarm clocks. It no is. other animal uses alarm clocks. Like yeah. animals sleep until it's time to wake up or you know, they have to run from a predator mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And that's that's like we should sleep until it's time to wake up or un- if we have to run from a predator. Word. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Like, because waking up to an alarm clock is the worst. It's yes. just not fun. It's it hurts my fun. heart. It really does. It's like, oh, it, no. Yeah. <laughs> People always talk about how terrible waking up is. I don't think waking up is terrible. I think it's the alarm clock. Being part. jarred. Yes. Awake. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, see, that was um, that was part of the reasoning behind my experiment <laughs> so but you know maybe the whales were way too chill could you like right. turn the volume up you should have where it's like <laughs> like at like <laughs> eight in the morning I'm like oh. you should have tried fucking dolphins <laughs> <laughs> that would have woken you up with great alarm yeah yeah <laughs> like what is that happening that is not a sound that you can be like oh <laughs> <laughs> Sounds oh like a bunch God. of like balloons being scraped together oh, in water. Man. Yeah. Rubbed just, together. Ugh. Not scraped. That sounds like, you know, like it defeats the purpose of the relaxing waking up. Yes. So anyway. Dolphins are pretty fucking cool though. They are. I like dolphins a lot. They're uh, so smart. They're really smart. On this episode of the Art History Babes, we talk about, <laughs> we talk about sea creatures. Sea, creatures. Our, the ocean sea mammals. Mammals that we love so dearly. <laughs> Memo. <laughs> and uh, you know we're talking about it's, ocean art on this episode no we're not not at all this has yeah, nothing to do with that the topic would be, we're discussing honestly, really cool. i could talk i could talk about ocean life for a very long me time me too and i it's, have yeah right, right? <laughs> i mean it's fascinating there's so many undiscovered creatures that we it's are like just swimming underneath space, us man. it is <laughs> like it's crazy. and everyone goes on and on about space which fair space, space is cool is and it's cool. infinite but we have so many aliens in here on our here. planet so, in this one <laughs> i will not make this tangent any more like insane than it needs to be <laughs> but i just had to mention have you guys heard about how octopi are considered like aliens because their dna is so yeah. fucking wonky yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I heard briefly about that but i don't know much about it at all aliens their, their dna is just like unlike any, unlike any yeah. other thing. form of life <laughs> and, and they they are unlike they, any oh, other yeah. form of life They're, so crazy they're so crazy and so I know. magical i want right? to be an octopus in my next yeah life. that would be good i want to be anything in the ocean like one of those really what about a giant squid oh, oh yeah. yeah that'd be cool those or like one of those crazy. one of those like really really deep ocean fish that like it has glows. like a little lantern yeah that's like crazy colors <laughs> yeah. and shit that would be cool oh be wild. god be wild. i just want a sea lion because sea lions they got a chill thing that's going on. true they are very cool they are i like watching them when they move and all their blubber jiggles yeah they're- i'm like they're me. Little... <laughs> Stop. That's me. No. They're like little water pups. <laughs> like they, they are. They behave a lot like dogs. Yeah. They're so cute. I know. Ugh. 
Well, I love the ocean. I, I know. I wish we were doing an episode I on the ocean the today, but alas, <laughs> we are not. But we are talking we are. about something very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And Someone now for something cool. completely unrelated. Um, <laughs> we're doing an episode on something also very dope and someone I'm incredibly excited to talk about because I don't even know how it happened. But just earlier this week, I went down a crazy Annie Leibovitz rabbit hole and just was like I obviously know the name everyone knows the name yes I obviously like know some of her work but like had never really sat down to think about how many of the iconic images that like she was behind that she was behind she's so prolific it's amazing it's crazy and she's also just a cool person really chill and kind of stoic and interesting for sure and like down to earth and yeah and her work spans so many different topics and has kind of jumped in a lot of really interesting ways like has developed in a lot of interesting ways and yeah so i'm super excited to talk about her and that's what we're gonna do that's what we're gonna do i'm ready let's do it (laughs) let's do it but before we do it uh, one last thing. Mm-hmm. We recently redesigned our website. It's beautiful. It's very exciting. And we have all kinds of new merch. We do. Like really fun new merch that Nat and I had a really good time designing. That's so good. And some of it's really goofy, but like it works. Um, but like new mugs, new canvas bags, new t-shirts, new crop tops. We got dad hats. Dad hats. I love the dad caps. I'm going to order like three of those. <laughs> Wear them on hikes. (laughs) Wearing hats on hikes. Um, So yeah, there's all sorts of new merch that you can check out. Arthistorywaves.com. Definitely head over there. We got new blog posts. We got all kinds of stuff. So go check it out. Also, just want to give a shout out to listener Sarah Sawachka Dalton, who is a producer level patron. Bless her. Bless her indeed. God, you are amazing, babe. You are a rock star. Thank you. Um, and if you want to be a producer level patron, head over to patreon.com slash art history babes and find out how. Check it out. You, know, you too can do this. You can do this. <laughs> <laughs> this could be you. <laughs> All right. So enough with the plugging and on to Annie Leibovitz. All right. All right. So little biographical information. She was born October 2nd, 1949 in Connecticut. She's one of six children. Her father was in the Air Force and her mother was a dance instructor. She grew up during the Vietnam War and there was actually an interesting... She tells this anecdote about um, this rift in her family because her dad was stationed in the Philippines. Yeah. While the rest of the family was like protesting the Vietnam War. Yeah, that's interesting. I know. (laughs) Um, That's like kind of a rough situation. And obviously he was trying to get his family to come over to the Philippines. And Annie was older. She was, I think, in her teens maybe um, or 20. Yeah, teens. And she didn't want to go, but eventually ended up going to the Philippines. And that was where she shot some of her first photographs were on yeah. the Air Force Base in right. the Philippines. Wow. Yeah. From there, she convinced her parents to let her enroll in the San Francisco Art Institute. Shout out Dope. to SFAI. 
right? And I mean, we'll talk about this more, but you know, she was in San Francisco in 1967. Oh man, <laughs> what a time! Duh. Oh man, <laughs> and she originally wanted to become an art teacher. This, so there's the, a lot of my information is coming from this really great documentary about her that you can watch on YouTube called Annie Leibovitz Life Through a Lens. So I recommend watching that. But she talks about how she originally wanted to become an art teacher, but like she wasn't really an artist when mm. she started school. <laughs> right. And she like she's like, well, I probably should learn how to be an artist before yeah. I can be an art teacher. Yeah. I should do some art. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I should take some painting classes. <laughs> exactly. And nice. then she be um so she went to San Francisco Art Institute and originally studied painting, but then de- developed a love for photography. Right. So she's in San Francisco, 1960s, just a hotbed of everything. Oh, like. s- yeah. Especially, so, yes. God, it's so wild. Right? <laughs> what so, a smart babe to be like, yeah, I'm, um, you know, going to go do college in San Francisco, mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> I almost feel, I, I doubt it was like even intentional, though. You know, like, I, right. I don't know that anyone could have predicted what that. What San Francisco would become. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially for like the music scene of mm-hmm. the 60s and even into the 70s and like the whole hippie honestly dude by the late 1960s the rest of the country were aware that oh yeah they were like i gotta go there's some crazy shit happening in san francisco there was that stupid song Remember that song? It's like San Francisco. I listened to that song like over and over again before the first time I visited San Francisco. Did you know that that guy wasn't even from San Francisco? Of course he was. (laughs) That's like that story of Summer of '69. Oh oh, yes, he wasn't even. He was like a child in '69, right? And he's talking about (laughs) the summer of. Who sings that? Who Uh, was that? Summer of '69. God damn it! That song plays so much on the local like easy listening station yeah brian adams brian adams <laughs> what are you talking about that dude song came out in 1984 <laughs> summer of 69 he was like a child yeah um but anyways so yeah annie leibowitz gets into san francisco and she gets in at the ground floor of something very exciting rolling stone magazine right you all know it you've heard yeah. of it that shit started in san francisco i didn't even know that until, yeah and i loved rolling i didn't stone know that either up. yeah I, I thought they were based out of like new york they yeah. ended up moving to new york but right. they, they were in san francisco for many years like yeah. a lot of like that's where they built from right because the senior editor dude okay it's spelled j-a-n-n and i never know if it's jan or jan mm. but jan jan warner <laughs> warner <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said like Jen. all of that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually John. <laughs> John. Yeah. Right? But like he too was like, a young guy and he was starting Rolling Stone in San Francisco and Annie Leibovitz approached him and was like, you want to take photographs? <laughs> <laughs> Let me take the photographs. <laughs> I'm into this. I want um, to take some photographs. <laughs> look at that photo. God damn it. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Look at this photograph. Every time I do it, it's my laugh. God damn it, Nickelback. Was that no. Nickelback? Yes, it was yeah. Nickelback. Yes, it's, Nickelback. it's like the worst song ever made. <laughs> that music video too where he's has standing there with that dumb fucking grin with like a little photo. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? I hate that I'm doing this, but do you remember when they, um, someone edited that song and yeah. it was just a Look graph? Look at this graph. <laughs> 
Look that at was this brilliant. Grab. <laughs> and then it just zooms in. <laughs> that was truly brilliant. If you're not aware, you need to look up the meme of Nickelback <laughs> and just put look at this graph into Google. It's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> that brought me so much joy I'm while we were in right grad now. school, dude. Especially because we were TAing that information design <laughs> yes. class. Which is all graphs, right? I, I emailed that to my students, and everyone was like, "What is this? Look at this graph!" Oh, God, <laughs> the beautiful part about being a TA—you can subject your students to like this. So many memes. Oh my God! Anyway, I'm so sorry, people. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, so, Levavitz was hired in 1970 when the magazine was just a startup. Within two years, she became chief photographer at the age of 23. Dope. What have what? I done with my I life? Know, right? <laughs> right? And she she basically kind of created the what would become the signature style of Rolling Stone photography and is credited with being the reason why Rolling Stone magazine covers became collector's items. Right. Which right. is like huge because I when I was a kid I because my mom got Rolling Stone and yeah. like I didn't even know that I was supposed to collect the magazine covers I just thought they were cool I always kept mine me too I put them up all over my walls dude and stuff. yes like, I've I got... loved Rolling Stone magazine covers and granted she wasn't the photographer anymore at that time but the style that she implemented yes, in the totally. it it totally. shines through all the way through the 90s absolutely like, so yeah like so she's credited with that kind of signature style and she was responsible for so many infamous covers the 1981 cover of Meryl Streep like she's like kind of picking at her yeah oh yeah um that was her it's freaky but cool yeah she also did the cover that was printed immediately following John Lennon's death which we're going to talk about more Mm. um but it's a very important cover yeah Um, so poignant yes an image of John and Yoko Ono but Years earlier, when Annie was just new to Rolling Stone, um, interestingly, was the first time she met John Lennon. So not when that iconic right. photo mm-hmm. was was taken. But years earlier, Rolling Stone was, was still getting going. And uh, John Lennon was giving his first real in-depth interview about the experience of being in the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And they weren't even planning on having photos for it. They weren't even yeah. planning on... And Annie just wanted to come with. Yeah. And the interviewer, I forgot his name, one of the leads at Rolling Stone, was like okay and so she was probably Jan Yon I'm sorry sir <laughs> and she came along to photograph John and Yoko and she got some really amazing shots that were just very just very real very yeah. candid and and this was one of the first times Annie ever photographed a really high profile celebrity right to be like she's very honest about the fact she didn't really know what she was doing at the time <laughs> yeah. like she she makes no bones about that and um, Yoko Ono is also interviewed in this documentary about Annie Leibovitz and and Yoko even mentions how she was just like really surprised that this like amateur photographer was was f- photographing John <laughs> like a- apparently Annie kind of came off like a student which she was you know yeah, yeah. but at the same time she did something really incredible yeah like I think I feel like Annie Leibovitz is just one of those examples of like she just always always like she didn't even have to try to get the shot sometimes yeah like she just has that scent for making a really good photograph and another quote from Yoko Ono in in reference to that meeting is that she was more concerned about the spirit I think and that came through 
Yeah. And if you look totally. at, at these photos, I have, so there's two different Rolling Stone covers because it was a two-part interview, one of which is John and Yoko together. And one is just this portrait of John kind of gate, like looking outward. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't even like an intentional shot. This was Annie like still figuring out settings and shit. <laughs> no, like, and it's such a cool shot. I yeah. love this picture of I him. Know. It looks like a, a portrait of a political leader or something yeah. like from the style because, you know, it's shoulders up and he's kind of quarter turned, which is really a pretty common pose for a lot of portraits. Mm-hmm. And it has been for a very yeah. long time. So this sort of accidental yet very classical portrait. Exactly. Yeah. And he looks very much like in thought. Oh, yes. John Lennon had a very classical face like yeah. <laughs> you know just in general and that so I knows especially oh, I know and I feel like she just really captured him and especially like at the time here he's like a post post Beatle and doing his thing with Yoko and, and he was also really getting deep into like his political stuff, like yeah. stuff yeah yeah <laughs> um, so this is yeah these covers are just excellent yeah they're really great and so yeah that was you know I would say her first like really like high profile and successful covers Mm -hmm. that like people remember she also you know she worked alongside hunter s S. thompson who Mm -hmm. i also forget was like a part of rolling yeah (laughs) yeah i don't know why like i don't even know how i separate him from that because it's so such a big part of who he was yeah but i just think of him as an author like i don't yeah ever think of him as like a writer for rolling stone and wasn't he like an og rolling stone writer like like there from the very beginning yeah Yeah. he is he was at the ground floor of rolling stone and a lot of his work that's famous today was in rolling yeah yeah so she worked alongside him and it got to a point where they were kind of you know like the top names like they were kind of the stars of rolling stone a little bit Mm -hmm. um hunter s thompson and annie Leibovitz. she also she covered everything she covered high profile political candidate candidates she went on the campaign trail with george mcgovern and if you are unfamiliar with who george mcgovern is he is the democratic candidate that ran against Nixon, Watergate scandal. Right. Yeah. I actually met George McGovern once. And I what? Did. What? Yeah. <laughs> How was that? Because <laughs> he was the governor of South Dakota. And I, oh. yeah. And I, um, I was working at a playhouse in the Black Hills and he came to see the play and he, I was working like the concession stand and he like, I didn't even know it was him. <gasps> like, I, he was just like this really nice old guy. <laughs> like, and I like got him his snacks and then someone was like, that's George McGovern. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, wow. Corey, yeah. you will never cease to amaze me. <laughs> that is a cool story. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, um, on the campaign trail with him she did a lot of like political stuff and then when nixon resigned right essentially what happened was so this was a big thing everyone at rolling stone was waiting to happen oh yeah super liberal publication obviously yes very excited and rolling stone everyone at rolling stone was just like waiting for it to happen and then it happened and there had been so much buildup that apparently hunter s thompson just choked he just couldn't write the story. Oh. He just got all blocked up and he couldn't write the story that yep. was, you know, gonna be his. Oh, and, shit. And so what, that is a lot of pressure. Right. I, I can't imagine. Yeah. So what they did instead was they ran a photo essay of all these amazing photos yes. that Annie Leibovitz took. When words fail, images Exactly. Do it. So they went a totally different route and they went with these images. That's really interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, they went with um this all of these images of the campaign trail of just things she could 
caught in you know that that year leading up to the resignation and it's a really powerful set of images and so yeah just she's just I feel like at least from what I've learned she just is especially in her early years was just at the right place at the right time and, right. and just knew how to knew how to take advantage of that totally. because there's one thing to be in the right place at the right time and it's another to do something with it you know yeah absolutely and she was really good at like making capitalizing on that yeah, yeah making the moments count and making what she was doing count but yeah so just super fascinating so definitely look up those series of images because they're they're really good also she toured with a lot of musicians um, she was on the road for a while with Fleetwood Mac. Oh man, she—that's crazy. She shot the Rolling Stones cover of Fleetwood Mac, where they're all like in the bed together, and that was before those motherfuckers. That was before everyone knew they were all like they it was were all before rumors. Yeah, it was. <laughs> they were all banging each other exactly. But she had the foresight to make that yeah. image. She was like, I know what y'all are up to. <laughs> She's a photographic prophet for real. Well, dirty freaks for real. It's such a good cover too yeah like all of them in bed together and then she went on tour with the rolling stones in 1975 <laughs> which like so jealous dude i know but also like a I lot of people even imagine i know a lot of people were like is that a good idea <laughs> like, probably not <laughs> um, there's a, a quote by by keith where he talks about how she was one of the first female photographers he ever remembered being around them and right kind of like didn't expect her to last like didn't expect her to be able to keep up right but he was wrong (laughs) he was wrong i really love the rolling stones photos she really captures just all these little details of of what it was to be on tour with the rolling stones like oh god i love these pictures there's just pictures of like Mick Jagger and Keith like at a table empty (laughs) bottles and a guitar and like a cigarette I'm amazed those dudes are still alive oh my god Keith um, is this Keith in the hallway here (laughs) he's like where am I is this the right room I don't know they talk about that in the documentary and Keith Richards is like I don't remember that (laughs) yeah Yeah. I don't Um, think Keith Richards remembers like whole years absolutely and there's yeah passed out I really like the passed out photo of Mick Jagger but he's kind of like a little boy a little sleepy Aww. baby <laughs> but he's just really <laughs> fucked up yeah <laughs> it's like a toddler when they're all tuckered out yeah. and you know they're crashing off of all of their Capri Suns <laughs> only in this case it's cocaine and Jim Bean <laughs> Yeah, and she, I mean, there's so, so many photographs from, from this tour that are, they're really good. They're just snapshots of what was going on. But obviously, there's a very dark side to this experience. Right. I love this quote by Annie where she's just like, I did everything you're supposed to do when you go on tour with the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that says it all. It really yeah. does say it all. If you didn't know, like, she ended up with a bit of a drug addiction. Um, just the small one kind of just a small (laughs) one because she she got help and it didn't really take too much of her life away from her she realized it I think early on and got help yeah yeah but yeah she little bit of a drug addiction just the smallest drug problem Which, yeah, I can't imagine, I can't imagine touring with the Rolling Stones and her job, what she felt her job was to do was to capture the authentic experience yes. of being with the, yeah. the Rolling Stones. Yeah, right. And you can't do that from if a you're distance. you're just, exactly. Like, no, you, you gotta exactly. get into it. You have to be one of them. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. if I would have toured with the Rolling Stones, I'd be dead. 
So <laughs> let's just uh, make that clear that she is a badass lady for having done that and survived. Right? Yeah. I, I think um, I can't even Mick, I can't Mick, even imagine Mick Jagger and his fountain of youth. I think we'll always be confounded by he still has so much energy. Like he's and still he's so like alive. a grandpa and like a great grandpa <laughs> and also so, a new father. It is <laughs> insane. Yeah. Uh, like yeah and and has more energy than i've had since like i was 14 years old like i want to have his like 76 year old like energy right for real it's amazing why don't i have that (laughs) but yeah so shortly after rolling stone moved to new york city annie kind of made her exit in 1983 she realized it just wasn't really for her anymore the way the magazine was running was changing and so she left in 1983 and she began working with vanity fair in the 1980s which was an interesting jump because vanity fair and rolling stone were very different different publications (laughs) (laughs) and she was kind of like i don't know about this but right took the opportunity which led to many many more iconic photographs which we're going to talk about you know which photo i forgot about but now that we're talking about vanity fair the portrait of Whoopi in oh, the yeah. bathtub of milk <laughs> oh yeah Whoopi gold i love that <laughs> dude i love this photograph like it's and a fun one it's really great and um it's really what i think about when i think about annie leibowitz but yes, many, many iconic photos. Yeah, I definitely looked that one up. That's it's just once again speaks to Annie's style. It's it's a weird situation. It's a weird it's just pose. Wacky. It's wacky, right? But you don't look at it and get this overly wacky feeling. You no. just get like a huh, but it like works. Right. You exactly. Know? For sure. <laughs> it's interesting. She also has done a lot of photography of dancers. Um, as I mentioned, her mother was a modern dancer, so she had right. a connection to dance. She was always interested in dance, and she studied famous photographs. <laughs> she studied photographs. photographs. <laughs> um, she studied famous photographs of Martha Graham that were shot by Barbara Morgan. Very and, cool, right? Yeah, and they're really those are really beautiful too. Look those up. And she was just really interested in how a dance was made. And mm-hmm. she's done a few, you know, different series on dancers, but she's worked with Mikhail Barish. Nakoff multiple times who if you don't know is one of the most like badass ballet dancers in the world he was also one of the ballerinos yeah for real and he was also on sex in the city for a while what shut up no i don't i never yeah, really it was watched sex, i didn't I think it was know that sex in the city yeah he was hold on mikhail ballet dancers are so impressive I think he dated Carrie, maybe. What? Wow. Wow. Yeah, he he was definitely on Sex in the City. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. But uh, he's an amazing dancer. <laughs> but she did some really cool shots of him, and I love this one where he's standing. Um, he's got his leg in yeah. the arabesque, and he's standing on a piano. And the piano is placed on a backdrop, and right. the backdrop is in the woods. <laughs> yeah, and like you can see all of this. Like, right. So it's piano. Mikhail Baryshnikov standing on it. There's someone sitting at the piano, and she's in like a bathing suit with like a and, hat. And his, it looks like he's wearing like an old school bathing, bathing suit. suit too, dude. Yeah. You know, I am obsessed with the perfect right angle of his legs (laughs) i know it's perfect yeah his angles are perfect 
it's perfect he's perfect he's, he's pretty great and but it's just such a like the layers of this photo are so fascinating yeah and it's just such an interesting he kind of is like the trees behind him a little, oh. <laughs> um, oh wow <laughs> that was really insightful i just feel a connection <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I could honestly talk about this photograph for a really long time, but we have so much more to talk about. Oh, um, but another really great quote from Annie when she's talking about photographing dance, which I love because I, I feel like she really gets dance as an art form. Totally. Yeah. She says, I began to understand that dance couldn't be photographed. How wonderful that it couldn't be photographed. There was something beautiful about coming to that place and realizing that you were doing a portrait of a moment. It was this art that lived in the air. I love that. Yeah, mm. and she even talks about her like dance work when she's working with Mikhail Baryshnikov. She talks about how what he's doing is the moment, like what he's yeah. doing is reality, and what she's doing is just like a little like like note, <laughs> like mm. it's just like but like obviously she can create these really cool images, but she also understands like her medium is separate yes. from the medium of dance, and like there's you know gonna she's creating something. She's not creating dance by photographing dance, right? You know what right. I mean? I I think especially in contemporary photography, you know. The impetus is to go in and to capture a moment, mm-hmm. but you can never really capture a moment. I know. You know, so it's, it's, yep. I think it's just really interesting that this photographer who has like broken down boundaries with photography in so many ways understands the limitations of her medium right that way, you know right absolutely but yeah super cool love the dance photograph kind of back to some personal life stuff she was i was really excited to learn this she was partners with susan sontag mm-hmm. which susan sontag was a really prolific writer activist feminist mm-hmm. like really important and I think Susan was like 20 years older-ish than Annie, somewhere in there. Yeah. And in the documentary, uh, Gloria Steinem's actually interviewed. Cool. I know, right? And <laughs> God, was, just powerhouse women. <laughs> I know, right? Pretty cool. Um, And she kind of discusses the relationship about how when she found out Susan and Annie were together, she was kind of like taken aback, like, what? And then she was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And like, <laughs> um, and, and it's funny because I think to us, maybe because we're, you know, like, younger and didn't grow up you know in the 50s 60s and 70s to us it 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 makes more sense almost but like at the time when they first got together like Susan Sontag was this really prolific intellectual right and Annie Leibovitz was kind of known as this pop culture photographer right which were a lot more separate at the time for sure Uh, they were like whereas now I think we're in this age of tons of media we try and integrate them a lot more right at the time when they got together they were kind of from separate worlds Mm -hmm. but they were brought together um one of Susan Sontag's most important works is on photography Mm -hmm. where it's a book of essays about photography with that she wrote long before she met Annie Leibovitz so it's this yeah I think I don't know, like magical meeting of like these two really interesting, powerful women. Also before, so Annie did some really interesting work concerning Susan, which Jen's going to talk about here in a minute. But also another just really cool thing about Annie is that she became a mom like quite late in life. Her first child was born in 2001 when she was 54. Wow. To which I say fucking dope. Because, right? Because... There's such a an issue with the idea of like like men become fathers late in life all the time. I.e. Yeah. Mick Jagger throwback to earlier. <laughs> 
like men, <laughs> men become fathers super late in life all the time. But women, there's this idea that we can't become mothers right. late in life. Yeah. And you can. Um, and so I, I just really appreciate the fact that, yes, yeah, she, she had her first daughter when she was 54. She has three children, um, Sarah, Susan and Samuel and wow. Susan you know, named after Susan Sontag. No. Yeah. Um, so I just think that's so cool. And but, she's like, yeah. I, there's lots of footage of her with her kids and stuff. And, you know, she's a great mom. She's very engaged and is always like playing yeah. with them and doing stuff with them. And so like, I just like that she said, fuck the stereotypes about. Totally. There. That gives me a lot of hope. Um, <laughs> you know, because I don't even, the stereotype I think is like, sure. Yeah. She's older, but I just think about like, I don't know. There's like this sort of rush that mm-hmm. even doctors like put on you. Yeah, like, Hey, you're a geriatric pregnancy if you get pregnant after uh 35 Mm -hmm. geriatric (laughs) if i was a 36 year old and i was pregnant and they said that my pregnancy was geriatric (laughs) i would riot (laughs) flip my shit no it's weird doctors actually i mean i can't speak for the whole medical community actually but there are a lot of stigmas just involving pregnancy in general like if a young if a woman that is like 35 years or younger yeah. wants to like get her tubes tied a lot of times they get talked out of it which is they'll just won't let you yeah exactly like, which is bullshit like it, yeah. it's like you should be able to make those decisions it's for yourself my life. <laughs> um, but there's just a lot of weird things uh stigmas yes. with with doctors and how yeah how women decide just, to bring yeah. in children yes. into the world women's um, bodies yeah right so yeah anyways wow. kudos to her for that totally i salute dope. her but anyways back to susan sontag i'm gonna throw it over to jen oh wait actually Ooh. we need to take a break <laughs> we <laughs> take a really quick break <laughs> it's just break time i'm gonna eat a chip we have returned we're back back from the abyss we mm-hmm. go we got refills and potty breaks and all that stuff. yeah we got our wiggles out all right jen oh me um <laughs> yes Mibovitz. i love her name so n- you know we've talked about rolling stone we've talked about variety fair but um vanity I, fair variety Van- 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 fair. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's variety fair. Wow. That's all right. I've had a lot of champagne. Um Champagne. Champagne. <laughs> Champaggy. I <laughs> God damn it. Champagne. Champagne. <laughs> oh my god. I went to the Musi Door scene. I had champagne after. <laughs> Oh my god! To be fair, I did call it the Moosey Dorsey. <laughs> the Moosey Dorsey. That's better than the Moosey Dorsey. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Anyways, oh, no. All right. Oh my god. Okay. Coming back. Coming so, back. Um. So we have talked about her more prolific, high-profile stuff, magazine work. What I really love about her relationship with Susan Sontag, returning to that is that some of her most intimate, just controversial also like work mm-hmm. um, has been surrounding the the photos that she had taken of her partner, Susan Sontag. I really like that Leibowitz expressed her frustration 
at photographing Sontag because Sontag had these like extremely high expectations for the photos that Leibovitz took of her. That was very frustrating for her. She wanted to capture her just in like a very natural mode and and Sontag didn't like that. She wanted to look good and it was really (laughs) hard like for her to deal with like having this partner that wanted to be photographed and represented in a certain way. So Leibovitz has said that it was especially hard to photograph people that she was intimate with i get it yeah like i totally get that so she says i had this idealistic idea of what susan could imagine her portrait to be but i found her to have an attitude of wanting to look good that was heartbreaking to me i thought she'd want to be strong looking but she didn't want to be that that Mm -hmm. happens when you know people very well you know how they want to see themselves and it can be very difficult yeah definitely that yeah I feel that like I really get that and as a photographer like for her that must have just been like oh like I know. so right. you know, heartbreaking that yeah. um, I think that's one thing that Leibovitz is just fucking amazing at is making people look like themselves or making them look strong or making them look interesting and making them look totally. good you know like a lot of totally. times she'll pull out these poses or these images that are just so different in and not what you think of as like a typically beautiful photograph, but they are beautiful and the people look beautiful. In them, yeah. You know yeah. I mean? So one of, I think, the most beautiful photographs that Leibowitz ever took of Susan Sontag was Sontag's death photo. So there is a photograph that Leibowitz took of Susan Sontag post-mortem. So it's a very interesting photograph in the sense that it is photographs. So it's made up of four almost like Polaroids, I want to say. They they look like They look like Polaroids. So it's an untitled photograph of the corpse of Susan Sontag. It's split into several parts that are overlapping each other and they're put together with sticky tape. And this suggests the sort of physical deconstruction of Susan Sontag through Leibovitz's eyes. So there's this curved formation of this newly constructed photograph and it removes the stiffness of the dead body that we're all sort of accustomed to mm-hmm. if you've ever been to an open casket funeral it's very uncomfortable yeah. you see your beloved in the coffin and you're just kind of like that's not who they were right it looks it's disconcerting it's totally just weird and they don't look like themselves and yeah and so the fact that she decided to make this like a four-part photograph and make it like curved almost brings like a dynamism like to her dead body and it and so this photo was taken in 2004 so Sontag died of a very strange sounding disease myelodysplastic syndrome hmm. I thought I've never heard of that. So, so that's the syndrome that she had, but what it was was something that caused her to go through many bouts of cancer. Oh. So oh, she shoot. had cancer three different times. Jesus. So wait, her 
her like disease caused cancer it's like the disease was called that and then she had cancer i don't know if they were okay i didn't research the disease but (laughs) she had the disease and she battled cancer three separate times and the last time resulted in her demise she fought cancer once in the 1970s and then she had two more relapses one in the 1990s and the last one in 2004 (sighs) culminating in her death that is a lot of cancer so so back to her her postmortem photo i really like this uh, sort of juxtaposition between so there was a show in october of 2006 annie Leibovitz published a series of photographs that were taken over the course of her lifetime as a professional photographer and it was titled a photographer's life 1990 to 2005 and so these photos obviously like highlighted her professional commercialized photographs taken for the magazine's vanity vanity fair and rolling stone but also featured a lot of her personal work and so at the heart of her work were the photographs that she took her personal photographs of her family and susan sontag and one of the photos that i really enjoy was from 1988 black and white and it was titled susan at the house on hedges lane wayne scott long island and the photo is like, I mean, we've all done this, just gotten <laughs> all akimbo on the couch. And it's Susan just lying down on the couch. Her legs are up over the back of the couch and she is just real relaxed, but she also looks really tired. And yeah. so at this point in her life, she had already battled cancer once. And um, so you get it's such an intimate photograph. I love it so much. She's very languid, almost like faint. You get the sense that she's tired. It's very it's very familiar. It's very ordinary. It's a very domestic sort of scene. And it's in black and white, which was a big sort of favorite of Leibowitz. She loved to work in black and white. And that, I think, was her preferred style. And I really feel like you get a sense of this overcasting like wariness of Susan Sontag and her life at this point yeah Mm -hmm. it's very peaceful it's very restful and the black and white palette I feel that really takes away any distraction from the subject and I think that Leibowitz was going for that and I think that that's a big reason why she has always preferred black and white photography. Yeah. And she, like, when she was learning photography <clears throat> in the early years, they were only teaching black and exactly. white photography. She only, she had to teach herself about color photography only when she was at Rolling Stone and Rolling Stone yeah. started doing that. So, I and I feel like, too, compositionally, black and white photographs can convey a lot more in that I they're think so too. more simple and muted. Like, there's so much more in terms of, like, contrast and... You can really play with a lot that you might not necessarily expect. You could convey yeah. with just a very simple black and white color scheme, but she does fucking fantastic with it. She's so good at it. Yeah. I really love it. And I feel like the black and white, too, has made its way into 
just a lot of her work. Like if you yeah. look at a lot of her really contemporary stuff, the really lavish stuff she's created, the yeah. contrasts are huge. Exactly. The contrasts are and really And the color big. palettes aren't super complex yeah. or really in your face. Like a lot of them are, you know, fairly basic and the contrast is dialed up so mm-hmm. that you get that because I think it, it adds so much to the composition just making it more of like an impact in a statement. Yeah. I feel like the black and white style palette, what have you, highlights this sort of minimalism that I think mm-hmm. um, characterizes a lot of yeah. Leibowitz's work. Yeah. Um, and so it's really perfect for this particular scene. I get I get this peacefulness. I get this restfulness. And the thing about it is that you really get the sense of the intimacy between photographer and subject. So, returning to Sontag's postmortem photo, this intimacy is all of a sudden sort of just like taboo. Like the fact that she not only took this postmortem photo, but took it in a like four part photograph Mm -hmm. and then like connected them and sort of brought back some kind of some of that, some of that relaxed restfulness that's in the photo of Sontag on the couch I think it's really powerful I love it I feel like it speaks to this intimacy that they had together but the the death photograph really gave rise to a lot of criticism with regards to privacy and rights of Sontag um, so you know Leibowitz published something that Sontag had no say in and so this topic of like ethics and this whole idea of like is it voyeurism to take a photograph of someone who is dead and then publish it. A lot of the criticism was championed by Sontag's own son, uh, David Reef. He was very unhappy about this Mm. photograph, as well as many other critics from agencies such as the New York Times. The dissent may have stemmed from this association of death with degeneration and decay, but also there was like this converse sort of question of um, wanting to place dignity to the dead so like was she depicted in a dignified manner who knows death is taboo so taboo mm-hmm. and um and so really this is a western culture thing to yeah. be honest because um yeah like Death. In a more recent Western yeah. culture thing, because for a long exactly. time, even in the oh. States, there were so many death creepy portraits. photos of like Dude, your dead baby. Let's do one. Yeah, we should. Those yes. are so fascinating. Yeah. of just the dead people photos, yeah. man. Like yeah. sitting up and stuff. But their eyeballs oh, are open. It's like, the, yo, yeah. he's dead. So yeah. interesting. Yeah, we got to do an episode on that. Right, um, adding it to the list right now. Do Perfect. it. But yeah, it just goes to show <laughs> that a lot of it is. It's like a more contemporary western kind of like oh like we don't want to see like dead bodies and open caskets aren't as common as they used to be and yeah depictions of death aren't as accepted as they once were yeah she got a lot of heat for, for it sure people were accusing her of building upon sontag's reputation and near celebrity status to somehow cause a scandal or publicity mm. for yeah. this exhibition that right. she mm-hmm. had right I think it's bullshit. Um, th- and, like, you know, if you watch anything where so Annie Leibovitz is a pretty like just contained person, like she's very chill all the time. Yeah, I love she, watching her talk. Yeah, if you watch her talk about Susan Sontag, she gets very emotional. Like, yeah, she 
loved Susan. They were yeah. intimate. Not, they were partners. Yeah. Exploit her. You know? No, yeah. no. And I just think that this whole idea that it was a public scandal, that's the public's issue. It yeah. wasn't, yeah. A, a, it was not something that she did to cause scandal or publicity and right. any way. Um, <laughs> so stop it. We <laughs> will, we're, we're going to talk more in a future episode about this whole idea of death photography in relation to the general human condition and why we're so freaked out about seeing we, death. We like to talk about death on this podcast. Yeah. I love it. Love yeah, it. Memento Mori, y'all. Uh, <laughs> don't forget. Anyway, so moving on, this kind of ties into Leibowitz really becoming more of a conceptual photographer later on in her career. And you see this, especially after she left Rolling Stone magazine. You know, we already talked about Whoopi in the bathtub of milk Mm -hmm. for Vanity Fair. (laughs) Strange, but great to say the least. (laughs) I love the photo that she took of Keith Haring in his uh, wacky room that he he painted himself and then he painted himself. And I think he's nude. I think he's got... He painted his penis and it shaped like a crucifix. (laughs) He painted a a crucifix on his penis. Um, Yep. It's, it's great. Um, <laughs> this was in 1987. So love you, Keith. Great, great photo. And it just captures, it's just him, you know? It yeah. is him. And and I, I really love this photograph. I feel like you get a real sense of like who he was trying to be. He's camouflaged in his own art. A lot of Keith Haring's yeah. work was very like gorilla on the wall in the subway. Like, you know. Here you, I am. I'm on the wall. I'm in the yeah, subway. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going. I'm he, doing it. He is the wall. Like, you don't, you don't see him. You don't know what he's doing. You know, it was great. So she began to see the potential behind a set up portrait. She says, it was the beginning of understanding the potential of conceptual photograph. I was trying to address their poetry in their portrait and suddenly it just clicked. Ha, that the setup portrait could have a story to it. Mm-mm. And I really love that. I feel like this kind of culminates uh, in a sense with going back the photograph of John Lennon and Yoko mm-hmm. Ono the day that he was murdered. So this photo is so weird. <laughs> it's weird, but I but it's also beautiful. Right. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's just a gorgeous photo. So Leibowitz visited John and Yoko Ono at the Dakota, which is their famous sort of abode in New York City. The day that John Lennon was shot in December of 1980. So yeah, initially uh, Leibowitz wanted to, she, she thought about photographing John Lennon just by himself. That's what she originally had gone for. So John Lennon had just released um, Double Fantasy, which was his kind of like comeback Mm. in the 1980s. He disappeared for a while during the 1970s. He and Yoko Ono had a son. It was a big deal for him. And he just kind of disappeared from the public eye for a while. So in 1980, he came out with this album, Double Fantasy. And it's really, it's a joint album with Yoko Ono. A lot of people don't right mention that but right. she's on the album <laughs> and so when annie Leibowitz came to get the photograph of john lennon he said no i want yoko to be on the cover too and so that's what they decided to do and annie Leibowitz had this idea of a lover's portrait and she wanted the two of them to pose together nude that was not a new thing for john and yoko ono yeah but yoko ono refused to take her pants off 
she said, you can have me from the top <laughs> up, but I'm not going to take my pants off. <laughs> and Annie Leibovitz was like, uh, okay, well, just leave all your clothes on. And she was pretty frustrated about that. But John Lennon had no problem <laughs> taking all of his clothes off. And he just kind of fell into this pose like where he's just like a like, fetal position. Yeah. He's just latched onto her he's totally nude and it's such a powerful photograph it really is yeah and then yeah you've got yoko standing there so like or laying there but standing there at the same time yeah because she's like she's she's vertical yeah and like fully clothed her hair is just like beautifully so wild it's just like like lying out behind her in this really like beautiful motion and Mm. she's even kind of got this like she's turned to her face is turned towards him but she still kind of got this slightly disconnected powerful Mm -hmm. look on her face oh totally yeah like i like i am in a power position right now kind of a thing she is such a pillar of strength in this photograph and she exudes like strong female motherly powers and what the best thing about this photograph is that when she took it the three of them knew right away that it was going to be this profound image and john and yoko both exclaimed to Leibowitz, you've captured our relationship exactly and i think that that's so powerful Mm -hmm. and it really makes sense like just knowing what we do know about how john and yoko got together and their dynamic and everything and John's mommy issues. That's a thing. Um, (laughs) That's a thing. (laughs) It's a powerful photograph. And then John Lennon was murdered the night that this photograph was taken. Yeah. And um, so wild. So wild. And Annie Leibovitz was really reluctant to sell the photograph. She was like, I'm going to be exploiting on Mm -hmm. uh, his death by selling this photograph yeah in the end though this ended up being the january 1981 Mm -hmm. cover of rolling Mm -hmm. stone magazine it's too perfect it's just too absolutely perfect it's a beautiful image and just so powerful and yeah i just i really love it and i feel I, I've got feelings, <laughs> got feelings about it, and think, the fact I think that this everyone is, had feelings this about is, it, yeah, this know? is the last photograph of John Lennon. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, that's just wild. It's so wild. Um, <clears throat> and to capture that relationship, which was so in the public eye and in the public eye in a lot of negative ways. Mm-hmm. What what I find particularly impressive about Leibovitz's work is that I mean I feel like for photographers like what we were talking about a little earlier and bringing people out of their shell and and making them feel comfortable enough or directing them enough to show themselves in like a true way is such a difficult thing to do Mm -hmm. and especially when you have two people and they're a couple and they're a very famous infamous couple Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just makes it all the much more impressive so I'm just going to make a couple points more about some of her commercial work. We should take a quick break. But before that, we'll take a break. (laughs) We have returned. We're we're here. We're back. I'm just fixing myself up another mimosa. Mimosas. Woo! Woo! I'm going to have the worst headache in like an hour and a half. Are we we being woo girls? (laughs) Woo! Woo! You know what? Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Corey's yeah call of Europe. Yeah. 
<laughs> I was, Europe uh, 2017. <laughs> I was listening to my favorite podcast beside our own, um, <laughs> Bodega Boys. Our podcast yeah. does, doesn't have to be your favorite podcast. It is my favorite podcast. This is my favorite podcast. <laughs> my number two favorite podcast is Bodega Boys of Jesus and Miro. Duh. Hey, I love yes. you guys. They're little like uh, shout outs. Or no, no, they're AKAs in the beginning. They have one where Miro's like selling your favorite SoundCloud rapper fake lean and he's <laughs> high off of like grape juice going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh They hilarious. are so funny. Have you seen the videos of them at Art Basel? No. You need to go on their Instagram. Ah. Jesus and Miro's Instagram. There's videos of them like at Art Basel and it's hilarious. Oh my God. It's we so have great. to go. Yeah. No, that's like 2019 or tw- end of 2018. Yeah. yeah. We're December. Let's do it. December goals, Art Basel. Doing it. We definitely have to go. All right. Subscribe anyway. on Patreon. Um, yeah. <laughs> Send us to Art Basel. Please. Like, the content will be unreal. Oh, we will just 24 hour content from Art Basel. <laughs> All the time. All the time. Going the live. Time. Going live. Just straight Facebook live for the whole The entire time. I'm like, we're out here at Art Basel. No, I can't feel my face. <laughs> I love Miami. <laughs> Man. Oh boy. It's, All right. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're back. Okay. Let's, back. Let's, let's wrap up on Annie. We got, we got some, some good contemporary stuff to talk about. Yes. So I think it's I mean, a lot of what we've been talking about with Annie, like she obviously has done photographs for the cover of magazines, but in particular, especially more commercial magazines where it's geared towards sales and like a certain demographic and all of that and some of her photographs have been like very noteworthy in this arena for magazines like Vanity Fair and Vogue so the first one I want to talk about is the Vanity Fair Demi Moore cover of 1991 it's it is an iconic it is when I saw that, I was like, oh, Annie did that? Like, of course she did. Right. I just want to look half that good when I'm pregnant. It's Dude. amazing. Ooh. It's upsetting and amazing. I, it is upsetting. <laughs> Demi Moore is a freak of nature, but I love her. <laughs> so when this was shot, it was actually incredibly controversial. In the early 90s, it was in many ways morally shocking Oh, yeah. And yeah, okay. somewhat repulsive for people to see Fucking a very pregnant naked woman. Because she's not, you know, four months, like, yeah. little no. like she's she not is, sexually she available. She was seven months pregnant. Yeah. yeah. And we're a bunch um, of, like, fucking prudes in the united states we're a bunch of puritanical prudes <laughs> for real sometimes sometimes it's just we get all up in arms about some crazy stuff oh yeah sometimes. oh yeah honestly um, it's so beautiful it, is. it really is i think it's very There's tasteful nothing offensive about this no, photograph absolutely not but it was <laughs> placed in white envelopes at newsstands and in supermarkets Shut like up. porn magazines are oh my god Give and a, a lot of venues refused to even sell it. But despite all that, the sales for this were Insane. incredible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Vanity Fair came under fire for the photo. And I can't believe that. I know. And this 
particular photo was originally not intended to be for the cover, but was going to just be for Demi, like, privately, because other ones had her partially clothed. Like, she'd be wearing, like, a cute black lace bra and, you know, like, mm-hmm. some little black panties mm-hmm. or had, like, a kind of green evening gown robe type deal that's open. But when Annie Leibovitz was going through the proofs, she felt that this nude shot had to be the cover. And so... It's so good. Yeah. And it makes for such a good cover shot, too. Just right? the way her body is, like, it's perfect I know. For the text is angled around her butt mm-hmm. and her, like, stomach and her breasts and it's, like, in the color palette, like, what we were talking talking about earlier where it's like it's very subdued like it is a photo in color but everything is just kind of subdued like the Vanity Fair text is somewhat flesh toned like Demi Moore's skin tone and like the background is kind of this muted gray and the text is white it's very simple and it's very iconic and so they had to get permission from Demi Moore for this photo to be on the cover and Demi was like yeah fuck yeah cool fucking do it (laughs) and this was the first pregnancy photo shoot that Annie Leibovitz did, uh, which is a big deal because later it became quite popular, especially for pregnant celebrities to have portraits of them taken while pregnant. And this was pretty groundbreaking in that regard. Annie Leibovitz said of this photo that, quote, it was a popular picture and it broke ground, but I don't think it's a good photograph per se. It's a magazine cover. If it were a great portrait, she wouldn't be covering her breasts. She wouldn't necessarily be looking at the camera. There are different criteria for magazine covers. They're simple. The addition of type doesn't destroy them. Sometimes they even need type. My best photographs are inside the magazine, which I feel like is a really important distinction that she makes herself, especially because so much of her work does involve magazine publications. But this making this clear kind of separation between what makes a good magazine cover photo and what is a true portrait, because this is obviously very posed and it's, you know, she's naked, but there's not anything like super defined that you can see other than like her pregnant belly. And that a real portrait in Leibovitz's own opinion would have been one that was more kind of natural and just like catching someone in the moment and not something that's posed to be like purchased in a supermarket. Yeah. Another one I want to talk about, which is so interesting to me. In 2014, Vogue called Leibovitz to take a take a series of photos on the uh, the Wests. Kim Kim Ye. Kim Ye. Kim Ye. Kim Ye. <laughs> so this was right after they had had their first daughter, mm. and they were soon to be married. And in 2014. <laughs> There was this conception, and let's be real, it's still around today, where it's like, what does Kim Tar- Kardashian do for a living? Like, what, is, she just what is. does she do? She just is Kim Kardashian. <laughs> I so. always wondered that. <laughs> what does she do? She right. just is Kim Kardashian. Right. <laughs> so the idea for this piece on them in Vogue was kind of a look more into her life and a somewhat more personal way, but also like a romance piece where it's like, oh, you know, they have this new baby and they're going to get married and it's all very lavish. Uh, (laughs) And so she went to their home and at the time they were living with her mom, Chris, because they were waiting for their house to be built. So they had their own like wing or room Mm -hmm. in the house. I'm going to go with a wing. I'm I'm sure. I like wing. Yes. And Leibovitz said that Kanye had designed the entire baby nursery. Like he'd picked out all the colors and like the furniture. Oh, really? <laughs> and he was, wait, want, what I does want, it look like? I, and so he was really excited about it. <laughs> 
So Leibovitz said that she really wanted to have the cameras for the show in the picture. But in this final shot, you couldn't see the cameras. You can't see her camera. You can't see the cameras that seem to constantly be following this family around for their slew of reality shows. And that Leibovitz wanted to capture that sense of perpetual engagement with screens. And so the photo itself (laughs) is... Kanye West in profile taking a picture of Kim holding their baby and he's taking that picture on like an iPad and then Kim is taking a selfie of her and her baby with her phone. This photo's iconic. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's a mirror behind them. So you see the image of Kanye taking a photo reflected back, but you don't see Annie Leibovitz at all. How did she it's, stay out of the photo? It's so it's like, like Inception. inception it's yeah. Kanye Inception. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing. It really is amazing. I don't yeah. understand how this is possible. I know. She just must be so right in that him. blind spot. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. That's exactly. Crazy. Exactly. But I just think it's so fascinating how she can adapt her own photographs to who she's taking pictures of because like you look at the picture of them and you compare it like she did a really cool shot of Cindy Sherman and she purposefully dialed up the contrast to make her kind of washed out and white to represent her as like a blank canvas and she did that because Cindy Sherman is also a photographer and an artist and she can just like a chameleon, yeah. You know, depending yeah. on who I think her that's subjects a great are, great way to describe her. Yeah, there's something about her that's very much she's a, a chameleon, like a powerful chameleon. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> she's a dangerous chameleon. <laughs> it's just so impressive to me, and like looking at Kimye and that photograph, and comparing it to other ones, and like the one she did of Queen Elizabeth, like it couldn't be more different. I know, right? <laughs> But she's able to capture very, I think, integral like characteristics and personality traits yeah. of these all incredibly different people for a lot of different platforms like magazine covers to, you know, like the photograph of Queen Elizabeth, I think, was for some anniversary. And I mean, she's been queen for as long as time, practically. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like in order to take a photograph like this, you have to know your subject. Exactly. And Leibowitz knew going into it, I think, like mm-hmm. who she was dealing with. And she totally. really captures it. This photo is amazing. Yeah, I know. And it's also it's so kind interesting. of crazy. It's kind <laughs> of disturbing. Yeah. yeah. No, and she she does that with so many celebrities like it, it's it's truly impressive like there's another one there's she did, so many it's she so did hard this really I really love it she did this image of Jimmy Fallon oh that is what a sweet guy. so good and so not what you would expect and I'm kind of obsessed with it. Oh. Right? Whoa, what's oh, going on? That makes uh, my heart hurt. I know, but I love oh, it. Oh, he, he's, he's like a clown man. Yeah. So he's, <laughs> it, there's this image. It's of, like he's a happy guy. He's a clown, but he's also probably a little sad inside. <laughs> Which is exactly the vibe I get from Jimmy Fallon. So yeah. I love Jimmy Fallon. I Me really too. Do. And, and I always have. Way back, one of my favorite, my number one like thing I would watch when I was hungover in undergrad was Best of Jimmy Fallon on Saturday. Sure. <laughs> yes. That was like. My my hangover cure. Aww. Like I love Jimmy Fallon, and I love him because he. I love him because he breaks all the time, and because he laughs at everything. And I understand people criticize him for that, but I like relate to that on like a soul level because you know I what? laugh yeah. at everything. Yeah. They're wrong for that. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up wrong. Um, so I just appreciate him because I do feel like his entire goal in life is to just make life fun. Yeah, and I think that's beautiful. But anyways, um, I I really like Jimmy Fallon, but I love this image because. 
Annie Leibovitz, she really pulled a dark side out of yeah, Jimmy Fallon in the totally. most beautiful way. And I love that because it's, that's yeah. not something you see. But it's just him. He's like, he's shirtless, but he's got suspenders on and he's got like makeup and he looks like a... Like a mime or something. A mime, yeah. like an old tiny yeah. circus clown it's mime. It's so sad clown. It's Pagliacci. Yeah. yeah, there we go. It's and, uh, and yeah it, in the in the contrast once again. The contrast is really strong. There's a darkness just mm-hmm, in general about mm-hmm, the photograph. Yeah. I love it. I'm a little obsessed with that image. She's amazing. She's so amazing. Oh, a couple more quick things. She also did in 2016. She did the Pirelli calendar, which you need to look oh, up. Oh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do it. It's so good. So Annie was the only woman to shoot the calendar in 25 years. Wow. <sighs> this calendar historically was always like pin-up images of Mm -hmm. women barely closed, you know, that kind of a calendar situation. And basically what Annie Leibovitz did with it was she totally reimagined the pin-up girl. A lot of these images, not all of them, some of them have, you know, women not wearing very much clothing. Some of them have women wearing more clothing. But every image is of a a woman that was renowned for their work and there's a whole diversity mm, of fields represented. Yeah. She did the, you may have seen the photo of Amy Schumer. Mm-hmm. That she's, was a big deal. Yeah, she's she's naked and she's in heels and she's sitting on a stool or she's, is she in underwear? She's wearing she's underwear. Wearing she's wearing underwear, but that's it. Tom. I think she's holding like a latte. Yeah, she's holding a latte. She's wearing <laughs> underwear. She's in heels and she's on the stool and she's just kind of posed and like looking at the camera. Yeah. It's a really beautiful shot and I think really captures who Amy Schumer is. And then there's an amazing photo of Serena Williams. Okay, dude. this photograph makes me feel literally insane <laughs> because she... It makes me feel insane. She looks amazing. Like her body dude, is just unreal. She's a fucking superhero. She's she looks, so amazing. She looks. Why was she not in Black Panther? Oh my god! <laughs> Why? So great. Um, but no, she does. She looks. I mean, she looks more powerful than yeah, Superman in this fucking photo. God. She looks amazing. Damn. And like her hands are up against the the backdrop, and you just see this powerful body. And, yeah, she's uh, like a woman Atlas. I want to see her holding the globe. Yeah. Above right. her shoulders. Yeah. And she just looks amazing and so powerful. And and then there are other images that, you know, represent the women in, in very different ways, like less power poses. But essentially the idea was to represent all of these these really successful women with like no pretense, like really pull right. out what is so, so incredible about them or what they, they you know, have brought to the world. Yeah. And, and I think she does that really well. In every I image. agree. Oh man. Um so it's a really it's a really cool calendar and it was something completely different mm-hmm. yes. from the way it had been mm-hmm. done in the past. Definitely. A uh, handful of just other cool shit totally separate. So so we've talked pretty much entirely about portrait because that's what she's right. known as, is a yes. portrait photographer. But she just kind of does whatever. And around like 2010, she got into landscapes for a while. So she's done some landscape stuff that's pretty cool. Uh, she did some images that were like an um, homage to Ansel Adams. Mm, yeah. Um, she photographed actually some of the same scenery as him. But, you know. Cool. Yeah. And then there's this really cool shot she did. She basically was like traveling around going to like museums and like famous 
famous people from the past, yeah. like homes and shit. And she got this really uh, cool shot of Georgia O'Keeffe's handmade pastels. Mm-hmm. I really like it. It's really simple. It's just like this over the top shot, but it's just of these pastels. Yeah. And once again, the contrast is pretty strong. And it's just like a very like natural still life. Yeah. But, um, yeah. An interesting topic. She also did a photo of Abraham Lincoln's gloves. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And those are those are really interesting because they're obviously like old. <laughs> Um, so old she got photos inside emily dickinson's house there were a few years there where she was kind of just like traveling and like exploring these different places and taking photographs because that's what she does so yeah there's lots of work of hers to explore outside the realm of portraiture as well and then recently i saw like on like a youtube ad she's doing like this online course thing Annie Leibovitz so teaches cool. photography. Shut up. Yeah, you can. Do you have to pay for it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. That was very matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things cost money, you know? <laughs> the way it is. But yeah, you can join this online course and learn learn from Annie Leibovitz, which yeah. if you're into photography or portraiture or just like the work she's done, it seems like a pretty interesting online opportunity. So. What is it through? Do we know? I don't know. Okay. Look it up. Look it up. <laughs> Just Check Google it, it. I'm sure you'll find it. Google it. Google it. But yeah, I think, do we have anything else to say on Annie? I don't think so. I just want to say that I think she's an amazing, strong woman. And um, if you haven't watched any interviews of her, look her up. Watch yeah. that documentary. She is just so fascinating. Yeah. And so cool. She's the coolest. All right. Got a quick listener mail. This one's fun. Yay. Uh, subject, praise the art history, babe. Oh, my Too God. kind. Wow. No no need to praise. <laughs> don't. Uh, don't. But, but do. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> Hello. I wanted to tell you that your show is fantastic. A couple of things for you. When I was listening to your episode on Edmonia Lewis, specifically mm. during the discussion of how Cleopatra has been t- depicted over time, mm-hmm. all I could think about was Frank Ocean's track pyramids. Dude. Complex kind of breaks it down on this list and then she pulled it up it is finally a depiction that pays homage to cleo's sexuality and power in a respect uh by way of personifying her as a stripper question mark question mark i'm no hip-hop expert but i figured y'all might find it interesting Secondly, I don't know if you do shout outs, but I wanted to ask in case my friend Marielle is a artist babe and told Maggie about the podcast. So shout out to Marielle or Muriel. Sorry. Sorry. Shout out to Muriel. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing the podcast. We glad, we're glad you like Thanks, it. Thanks, Muriel. Yeah. Aww. There's a movie called Muriel's Wedding with Tony Collette in it. It's, it's a sad movie. Maybe don't watch it, but that's always what I think about. <laughs> Don't don't yeah, do that. There's a lot of she, ABBA in it, but yet it it's very sad. Oh, she's, a sad she, ABBA. Yeah, movie. she started <laughs> out strong and then was like, actually. But anyways, thank you both for listening to the show. We really Definitely. appreciate it. And that's a really interesting point about that Frank Ocean song because that song is like it is very like empowering, but it's in it's just so interesting. So here's the lyric. I pulled it up. Then your lipstick, Cleopatra, then your six inch heels, catcher. She's headed to to the pyramid. She's working at the pyramid tonight. Mm. And it's what? Well, it cause, have you heard that song, Jen? I have, but mm. um, I didn't know the lyric. Well, yeah. it, it's he's he's layering both, you know, Cleopatra of ancient Egypt and a stripper yeah. working at like 
the pyramid yeah. in Las Vegas. Yes. Relating it to this also powerful woman in ancient Egypt. And so it's a very like interesting, yeah. complicated. Yeah. Know. And I mean, like even the way he's talking about like the other lyrics in it, like I'm reading now too, because I haven't listened to this song in a while, but you know, it's like, the crown of our pharaoh, the throne of our queen is empty, the jewel of Africa. And I mean, yeah. Remove her. Send the cheetahs to the tomb. Ooh. The war is over. Our queen has met her doom. It's like very. Whoa. Sounds Man, metal. I would love to know like what the influence for this was, like how we came up with this idea. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious now. But yeah, I think it's. Man, Egypt just influences so many different yeah, things right. of contemporary culture to this day. It is Word. truly amazing. I definitely want to listen to the song again because I haven't listened to it in a long time. I haven't either. either. We're yeah. about to sign off and we're going to listen to the song, <laughs> ladies and gents. You should do the same. Throw it on, get on do Spotify or whatever. And, um, uh... Frank Ocean, listen to our podcast. Um, <laughs> tell us, tell us the origin of pyramids, please. Yeah, please. and if anyone Pyramid. has any, you know, like we all enjoy music, but none of us are hip hop experts. So if anyone yeah. has a more in depth analysis of that too, we definitely be let down. us know mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's what we got. This was a fun episode episode i loved it god annie annie you're so good (laughs) we're proud of you we we salute you fellow art history babe goodbye (laughs) have a good time have a good time (laughs) have a good time have a good time I went to the Musi Dorsey and I had Chimp have me after. <laughs> the Art History Babes podcast is made possible by support from our lovely listeners via Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash arthistorybabes to help keep the Art History Babes going and for access to bonus content.